0: Good afternoon to all my Facebook friends. Uh, i li- glad to be with you this afternoon from Tyler, Texas, downtown here in the office of the West Erwin Church of Christ right here in beautiful downtown Tyler, Texas. Our church has been located here since 1885, and no, I have not been the preacher for that long, but actually uh, coming up on the sixth anniversary. Uh, Joyce and I moved here the first week of July in 2015, and so we're excited about that, and we're excited that within just a couple of weeks, uh, we will have a new youth minister. Tucker Sullivan uh, will be coming, and his first day is July 11th, and God has really blessed us uh, with this wonderful couple. Tucker is engaged to Elizabeth Hunt, and they are both uh, have been in Oklahoma, have been attending uh, college there, and recently graduated and we are super excited to have them. They are a wonderful couple. They will be getting married this September, and so we're excited for that and excited for their uh, beginning, our, their work and ministry with us here. I'm super looking forward to uh, him being a partner in ministry and working together with, with Tucker and Elizabeth. We're excited that they and their, whole, and their parents are all gonna be here on July 11th and so that is a, a great, great thing. We're super excited about that and we're so thankful to our committee and uh, to all of our church who have been praying so so deeply for um, for this blessing and God has truly, truly guided this process and has blessed us. Uh, nice to see a few folks joining in. Pat Slade, good to see you. Eric and Cindy, always love to see you and Lenny and Joe such dear, dear friends that mean so much to Joyce and me, and have for a really long time. Yes, it's been six years since we moved here uh, to uh, uh, Tyler, but it's been um, since, I think, 1985 that we have known Joe and Lenny, and so what a blessing uh, you are to Joyce and me, and to our girls, and to all our family. Uh, Excited to get to share the messages this week with you. Today and Thursday, we're gonna be talking about the shield of faith. You know, Satan's goal is to destroy us by attacking us at the most fundamental basic level, and that is um, our trust of God, our faith in the Lord. And he wants to try to destroy that, and the way he does that is by shooting fiery arrows of temptation at us to try to break our faith and our trust uh, in our great God and to destroy the relationship that we have with him through the sacrifice that came on the cross that his son died on. So we are, we're thankful that uh, we have this. We're thankful that God has put us in a place where we can be in relationship with him and with others. In our Sunday afternoon study through the book of 1 John, we're reminded of that great passage of scripture in 1 John 1 verse 7, if we walk in the light, As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, that horizontal relationship with fellow church members. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us, purifies us from all unrighteousness. That's the vertical relationship that was destroyed because of our sins, and yet Jesus' blood purifies us and takes that block and uh, and that separation away. Satan doesn't like that at all. And so he's trying to get the upper hand in our lives once again. And the way he tries to do that is by firing uh, these flaming arrows at us uh, to try to destroy that faith. Uh, Ephesians 6, verse 16. Then that great passage about the armor of God that we're looking at on Tuesdays and Thursdays. um, These words in Ephesians 6, verse 16. In addition to all this, what he's already talked about, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Um, God has talked to us in Ephesians 6 about the panoply of God, that full armor of God that we're called upon uh, to use to be strong in the Lord. Recognizing that our battle is not against um, flesh and blood armies, uh, it is against uh, the principalities, the rulers. It's against Satan himself. It's a very spiritual battle against very dark forces. And um, and so to do that, we have to be prepared. We have to put on that firm, uh, full armor of God. And as we have seen in the last few weeks, it begins with the belt of truth buckled around our waist, uh, continues on with the breastplate of righteousness that we put in place to protect us from those uh, uh, things that would come and would threaten us at our most vulnerable uh, and, and essential organs. We have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. That willingness to share the gospel at any time, at any moment, in any way possible. And uh, And so that's an, another great blessing that we have. And now today, in Ephesians 6 verse 16, we read these words. In addition to all this, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So today and Thursday, I want us to talk about this shield of faith and talk about the flaming, fiery arrows that Satan has pointed and sent our way. You know, this is based, of course, on the armor that Paul was very familiar with, the the first century armor that a Roman soldier would have. And we've shared a little bit about that armor as we've gone through each of these items that make up uh, that armor for the Roman soldier and how it applies uh, to us and to the armor of God. And so a few things about that, uh, that shield that the Roman soldier would have. The rectangular Roman shield was massive standing four feet tall and measuring nearly three feet in width. It was meant to do more than just uh, be a small thing that would protect him in some ways, but rather it was meant to protect his whole body. To build a Roman shield, two sturdy pieces of wood were glued together and covered with canvas to form the shield's core. Goat skin or calf skin was then stretched tightly over the wood. The boards were curved inward, and a leather strap was tacked to the shield's back. Iron rims were then fitted along the top and bottom edges, and an iron circle was attached to the center of the shield. So it had iron rims around it, and then an iron circle at the very center of it, along with that leather strap on the back uh, that would be used in, basically as a handle. The, col- the colors of the soldier's military unit were sometimes painted on the leather leather covering uh, so there was a little bit of camaraderie there attached to that shield much like uh, uh, baseball players have similar colored uniforms or football players have uh, the insignia of their team on their helmet or on the baseball cap um, sometimes the soldiers in their unit would have something painted on this shield archers in the ancient world frequently dipped their arrows in tar and set them on fire before launching them at their opponents. In some cases wooden shields began to smolder, causing soldiers to drop their shields and to expose themselves to enemy fire. How important were these shields? Well, when scripture talks about the fiery arrows of the evil one, the adversary Satan, uh, it's taken from real life. In those first century battles, those Roman, those soldiers would, uh, the archers, would uh, sometimes put their, the tips of their arrows on fire and, and then uh, shoot them at their opponents. And even if the, uh, if the shield was able to block that arrow because it was on fire, it could cause the shield itself to catch fire as well. So before going into battle, Roman soldiers drenched their leather-covered shields with water. When fiery arrows struck these soaked shields, the flames were immediately extinguished. Soldiers could put their shields together and have even more protection. So they used water to uh, soak the shield, and if their their enemy was firing uh, arrows that were laced with fire, then the fires would be extinguished right away, if they, even if they hit the shield. And sometimes the Roman soldiers would stand close enough so that they could have their shields uh, together, basically. Uh, not attached, but close enough together to where the arrows could not uh, get in between. And they would give them even more uh, protection. Satan's goal, again, is to destroy us by attacking our faith at its most basic level that level of, of believing and trusting in God. Remember Hebrews 11 says, uh, the one who faith is being certain of what we're not able to see and assured of what hasn't even happened yet. That is living by faith. That's true. But then it goes on and it speaks about specifically what that kind of faith uh, begins with. And, it's, and it means that we believe that God exists, first of all, But secondly, that we believe that he will fulfill the promises that he has made. He's able to keep his promises. And so as we consider this, um, that's one of the things that Satan, uh, one of the places where Satan attacks. He attacks us at our faith, at our trust in God, that God actually does exist, that God actually is able to keep his promises, that he is faithful as one of the passages we'll look at in this week's study, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen 13 says, he is faithful and will not allow us to be tempted with more than we can bear. That great passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. 13, um, when we're hit with lots of flaming, fiery arrows of temptation and difficulty, we begin to wonder, will God truly keep his promise? Will he keep us from being tempted beyond what we're able to bear? Uh, can he come through? Uh, Satan raises those questions at us and that is a part of his plan. So uh, let's talk about this, this uh, these flaming arrows uh, that Satan will throw at us. What exactly are they? Well, we can say in a general sense, they're difficulties, they're uh, trouble that we go through in this world. Uh, sometimes caused by a person, sometimes even caused by ourselves, sometimes not really caused by anything. It's just the general nature of this world, uh, that there, there, there is difficulty. Uh, this world was not meant to last forever, um, but it is here. And sometimes as we go through this world and through this life, um, bad things happen. And Satan will use those bad things against us to try to get us to question God, to get us to wonder if God really does uh, keep his promises or even if he even exists at all. So those are some of the kinds of things that Satan does. And I think we can safely say that he uses those things to tempt us to give up our faith. Uh, There are several places where scripture talks about that in a very strategic way. Uh, as far as looking at at Satan's strategies. One of those is in James chapter one. This familiar passage in James one, beginning at verse 12. Really all of James one nearly is talking about standing up in the face of persecution. But uh, James, the half brother of the Lord, uh, gets specific about that in the nature and and kind of almost drawing us a diagram of, of how this plays out in our actual spiritual lives James 1 beginning at verse 12 blessed is the one who perseveres under trial James 1 12, because having stood the test that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him sounds very much like what Paul writes about towards the end of his life uh, in 2nd Timothy in verse 13 then when tempted no one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. It's not God's desire to see our faith destroyed. That is not his desire at all. Uh, will he allow us to be tempted? Yes, he doesn't stop Satan from doing that. He doesn't stop Satan from firing those uh, flaming arrows at us. Um, will God test us in order to increase our faith? Well, yes, he certainly will. I think that's what happened with Abraham. I think that's what happened with Job. And I think that's what happens with all of us. God doesn't want us to uh, stay where we are in our spiritual growth. This past Sunday, we looked at that uh, aspect as we talked about Jesus' relationship with Nicodemus and his growing faith throughout the Gospel of John. Uh, Jesus wasn't satisfied with Nicodemus being where he was. He wanted Nicodemus' faith to grow and he wanted him to come to full faith in the Son of God Himself, but for that to happen, uh, Nicodemus' faith was was tested in a, in a great way, and yet he came through. As he and his fellow ruling council member, his fellow member of the Sanhedrin, Joseph of Arimathea, took that body of Christ down from the cross after he was after he had been killed, and buried it in a nearby tomb that Joseph himself owned, as John records in John 19 a great statement of faith, but it didn't come without difficulty, didn't come without testing. It was a different faith than what Nicodemus had in John 3. And throughout the Gospel of John, we get a little window in chapter seven, and and really in the rest of the discussion that Jesus has with uh, those questions, that searching. Well, I think that's what God is trying to get us to do to uh, deepen our faith. And, uh, And sometimes that happens through difficulties and even through persecution. Again, verse 13 of James 1. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But, verse 14, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire or lust, and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. And so we see that that arrangement, we see that equation, we see that chart, that diagram that James writes for us here, that uh, God doesn't tempt us. It's not his desire for us to lose our faith. Absolutely not. In fact, it's his desire that our faith be strengthened and our trust be deepened. In God, but we are tempted, and how does that happen? We ask James, and James answers us, and he says, "Well, it really begins with our own evil desires or lust. We, it's like Adam and Eve in the garden, Satan coming up to them and challenging Eve. Um, first of all, you know, has God told you that you can eat anything you want? Well, no, He's told us that if we eat this, that we'll die, and and it begins with Satan's lie. No, you won't die." You won't die. God's wrong or he's lying to you. It's just that you'll be like God. And so you ought to, you ought to do this because it's going to make you smarter. It's going to make you wiser. It's going to make you happy. It's going to make you feel better. That's what Satan does. And it's a lie. It's a lie because as we go through our lives, we realize that hole in our heart can't be filled by fulfilling our own selfish desires, our own lust, as other translations call this. So so what's the next step on that chart? Well, Satan throws that temptation at us. We have our lust that gets out of control and lust, uh, when it is conceived, it gives birth, James says, to sin. Just being tempted is not a sin. We're all tempted. Even Jesus was tempted, the writer of Hebrews tells us, yet he never sinned. But as James gives this... desires and lusts take over and because we feel like this is the only way that we can be happy this is the only way that that we can find fulfillment that satan is not lying that it's god who's wrong it's god who's lying because his word has said no and satan says yes and our evil desires and lusts say yes And so when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is finished, it leads ultimately to death. That's where it ends. It's what Jesus told them in the garden. On the day you eat of this fruit that I have forbidden for you to eat, you will surely die. And though their physical life wasn't taken that day, in their interaction with God, as he called them to account for their sin, and believing Satan's lies, and trying to fulfill their own selfish desires and lusts, God threw them out of the garden and they were separated from him. Isaiah 59 says, "'Your sins have separated you from your God.'" And that's exactly what sin does. And it ultimately brings about death. Um, Not physical death, I think, but spiritual death, that separation from God. And if we don't turn our lives around and repent and come back to him, then it means separation from God for eternity. Uh, and, and that is the most tragic uh, death of all. That, and so we see that pattern. Uh, we see the temptation and hear the lies that Satan gives. We tend to believe it. Um, we have a great desire to do that or to not do that, whichever way he's tempting us to go and uh, and so our lust gives birth to sin and we fall into that trap and then if we don't turn away ultimately that sin leads to death Um, romans 6 verse 23 says it succinctly uh, the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord the gift of god is the shield of faith (laughs) and that's what paul has said in romans 1 through 5 and then in chapter 6 Uh, He talks about that life that we're to live, a life of righteousness, and he says that the wages of sin, however, if that's the route we choose to go, and God will let us if we do, the wages of sin is death. Well, James helps us understand that, but also Paul himself, earlier in Ephesians, has given another diagram, another chart that I think clarifies this as well. In uh, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, uh, these are the words of the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 4, 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Well, a few more steps, maybe, but also some clarification. And this is we we understand that this is exactly what happens. We see it in our own lives when we have fallen into sin, and we see it in the lives of others. Um, and this is the the the. Uh, the attitude and the mindset and the lifestyle of the people who don't know God. And he says, their, their thinking is futile. Their thinking is futile. And he goes on in verse 18 and says, they are darkened in their understanding. And And that's what happens when we believe Satan's lie. Our understanding is darkened. It, we don't, we don't think clearly. Our thinking is futile. Our understanding is darkened. It's not clear. We've lost uh, the clear understanding and perception uh, that God has blessed us with. Why? Because of our own futility, because of our own evil desires and lust, as James says, verse eighteen of Ephesians. For they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. Again, sin separates us from God. It causes us to to be separated from Him, and and it threatens to forever break that relationship that we have with him separated from the life of god because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts you know when we think, hear that phrase hardening of the heart we always think of pharaoh right and his interactions with moses and and as moses tells him let my god says let my people go and pharaoh refuses and bam one of the plagues and same thing bam another plague and and for a while It says that Pharaoh hardened his heart and he refused to let them go and Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And that's the scariest thing. Romans 1 says God gave them over to live in this kind of futility and darkness and sin. If we insist on living the life that God has forbidden, then he will let us and ultimately he will hand us over to Satan. That is a scary, scary thing. And if we ever want to turn back and follow him and take on that shield of faith again, he'll be there for us and he'll forgive and he'll restore. That's why Jesus died on the cross so that his blood, as we said in first John 1 7 can purify us from all of our sins. But that's a choice that we make. We make the choice of either to accept that and trust and obey or not. And that obedience isn't complete, it's not perfect, we get that. But it's also not what Paul describes here and what James describes in James 1. It's not that futile thinking where we have uh, given up on the way of God. And we have darkened our understanding and we're separated from the life of God and we have become ignorant due to the hardening of our hearts. Um there's a there's a sense where people who are dead set on disobeying God and living in rebellion to him and seeking their own way rather than the way that God gives us in scripture we get to the point to where our hearts become so hard that we're ignorant and that term ignorance as you know just simply means we don't know we don't know anymore we can't tell right from wrong we've given up on the words of of the scripture that God gives us the word of life, the word of truth. And now we've gone so far overboard on that 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 we've lost our understanding and we've lost that knowledge and our hearts are hardened. And that leads us to Ephesians 4 verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, no longer sensitive, we're we're ignorant of right and wrong. And so we're not sensitive to those things. Jeremiah talks about uh, losing the ability to blush. Losing the ability to be ashamed. Jeremiah in those first eight chapters, 10 chapters talks about that. The people of his day had forgotten how to blush. They had forgotten how to be embarrassed and um, uh, ashamed of their sinfulness. What a horrible, horrible thing. And yet what an accurate description of so many in our 21st century America today. It's a tragic, tragic thing. And yet we see it everywhere. Uh, We see it everywhere. People openly rejecting the teaching of Christ and rationalizing it away because why? Because they're futile in their thinking. They've darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God uh, because of the ignorance uh, that is in them, uh, because their hearts are hard. And so they have lost all sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sensuality, Ephesians 4, verse 19 says, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. And we see that everywhere in our society today. And Scripture announces it and calls it out. And, and lest we lose our humility, let's remember there may be some things that we don't do. We may not be quite that far down the line in here, but we're not perfect ourselves. And as we consider our country, as we consider our family members, as we consider fellow church members who have lost sight of this way, who have gone down this path, whose understanding is darkened, who are now ignorant of their knowledge of God and his will, uh, who have given themselves over uh, to sensuality and to greed, we, we need to remember that we're susceptible to all those same things. And as we see someone, we see them through the eyes of Christ and our hearts break. But nonetheless, we, we call out that sin because the, the risks are too great. The price is too high. Each of us, James has said, is tempted when we fall into our own selfish, evil, lustful desires and give into that temptation and sin. But we remember that sin, when it is fully finished, gives way to death. The wages of sin is death. And that's why in our lives, first of all, with our lives, we seek to live faithfully in accordance with God's will and God's word. And then secondly, when we have the opportunity in a loving, humble, considerate, respectful way, we stand firm with the word of God and we say, no, I cannot call something that God calls sin and say that that's okay. Even though the rest of our society may go there, we can't. Uh, this month, our country celebrates what it calls Pride Month. Um, pride in what? Pride in homosexuality. Pride in something that God specifically calls sin. Well, we we love our family members, our friends, our co-workers. We, we love them, but we cannot abide uh, by that lifestyle we recognize that what God calls sin they have said is okay for whatever the reason scripture doesn't count on this one and and unfortunately what has happened is this exact thing they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts having lost all sensitivity They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Whether it's homosexuality or adultery, even in a heterosexual relationship that is with someone other than your spouse, or greed, materialism that is so rampant in our country today, or any other sin that scripture condemns, this is the pattern. It's the result of a flaming, fiery arrow that Satan has shot at us and we have refused to take on the shield of faith to extinguish it. It's a sad, sad thing. In 1st John chapter 2, John is clear in verses 15 through 17 and he says, look, don't love the things of the world. Uh, Don't, don't, don't give in to that lust of the flesh, that lust of the eye, that pride of life. Those are fiery arrows that Satan is shooting at you. And in Paul's words in Ephesians 6, verse 16, we are to take up the shield of faith with which we can extinguish all those flaming arrows of the evil one, Satan himself. I don't want to end on a downer, and so I'm going to tell you that the shield of faith is stronger than the fiery arrows of Satan himself the shield of faith, will will if we'll take it up, if we'll lift it up, it will protect us. And even though Satan's arrows are shooting at us with flaming fire, that shield of faith uh, will extinguish them and will keep us safe from going down that path of the lust that leads to sin, that leads to death. And so I'm excited about the lesson on Thursday because as distressing, as the message of sin is, and how far it separates us from our God who loves us so much, the shield of faith is even stronger. And the message of salvation through faithful, trusting obedience to the will and word of Jesus Christ uh, is so very much stronger. And I hope that you'll join me on Thursday afternoon as we talk more specifically about this great shield of faith. God bless you.